Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. We are in the book of Galatians, as Pastor Jeff said. 18 months ago or so, we began our series there, and um, we typically preach through books of the Bible, as Jeff said, with breaks. Let me just say something about how we do what we do as far as preaching. The Bible doesn't demand that we preach right through books of the Bible. In fact, in the history of the church, that hasn't been the main way, as odd as that might seem to you. Um, But we do it that way because it helps us kind of cover the entire teaching of Scripture and not just focus on our own little pet doctrines or topics. Paul says in Acts 20 when he's talking to the church in Ephesus that he preached the whole counsel of God. He didn't neglect truths that he thought the church wouldn't accept or that would have been distasteful to people. He taught it all. And so that kind of preaching, when you preach right through it, You can't avoid certain things. You would know if I skipped a section of the book of the Bible because I didn't want to touch on that topic. And so parents, this is a good thing for you to consider, you as an individual. If you just read the Bible with your family consecutively through a book of the Bible, when your kids grow up, you'll have talked to them and covered everything that they'll need to have covered. You won't be able to avoid things that you as a parent would rather avoid. Uh, and so hopefully as we preach that way, that will help you. Now we picked, I picked the book of Galatians, uh, for a few reasons 18 months ago. And what Pastor Jeff talked about with the children is the main reason. I want to make sure that we as a church are very clear on what this most important doctrine in the Bible is. Justification by faith. So look, if you would, real briefly at chapter 3, verse 28. We're not preaching out of this verse, but I want to show you how important this doctrine is. So this truth that we are justified, that is accepted by God as sinless and perfect because of Christ, only by faith and not by what we do, that's what this whole book is about. And in 328, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. What is he meaning there? What he means is these divisions that are real, there are such a thing as Jews and Gentiles, and there are hundreds of verses in the Bible about those differences. There is such a thing as slave or free. There's socioeconomic differences, and there's hundreds of verses in the Bible legislating how those differences should treat each other. And of course, there is such a thing as male and female. There are two sexes given by God, and again, this is a fundamental reality of who you are, right? And there are verses in the Bible specific to how men should be godly men. And there are specific verses and laws in the Bible to women about how they should be godly women. 
And here Paul says, those differences and the laws in the Bible about them are nothing as far as you being justified by faith. Jews don't have a leg up because they're Jews and they're keeping the laws better than the Gentiles. It doesn't matter as far as your justification. Whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, as far as you being accepted by God in Christ, it doesn't matter. All the laws regarding it, it, there's nothing. Again, being male or female, fundamental to your being, as far as you coming to faith in Christ and you regarding the laws of your sex, They're nothing. It's only by faith. And so Paul takes these three categories that are paramount in the Bible and says the doctrine of justification makes those seem as if they're not even there. That's how important this doctrine is. That's why I wanted to preach through it. So that's what we're going to do. But since it's been, we've taken a break from this book for the summer, what I wanted to do today is just kind of reset what this book is about. And so this will be a bit of an overview on this book, and then we'll begin where we left off on May 28th in 421. Uh, But today is just going to be an overview. So what I want to do is read two verses that summarize the entire book, chapter 2, verse 16, and chapter 3, verse 24. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Yet we know... That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And now 324. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Let's pray. Father, you have filled the earth with evidence of your great, eternal, and unbreakable saving love. And because of this, please teach us your word. We beg now your goodwill and kindness with all of our hearts and ask that you be gracious to us according to your promises. And so please open our ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this letter, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, was written by Paul, and it notes an apostle. And if you were here last week, we looked at the various leadership positions, offices, that Christ has given to care for and lead the church. And one of those was apostle. Everybody remember that? Okay, so an apostle as you'll notice here, isn't something that men created. It's something that God created through Christ. And these were the ones who followed Jesus, saw his crucifixion, saw him raised from the dead, and were specially appointed by him to start his church. That's who's writing this letter. Now, we as Christians believe, because the Bible teaches it, that what these men wrote, these prophets and apostles, aren't the mere words of men. Amen? These are God's words inspired by the Holy Spirit through these men. 
so that what we have written here, we don't receive, receive of it, it's just written by a guy. We receive it and listen to the right preaching of it as if it's from God because it is. And so Paul is stating that right at the beginning of this letter. Now he states his authority as one appointed by Jesus Christ because he's writing to a church that's in utter chaos. A church that is tearing apart at the seams and it's tearing apart at the seams over how do you get accepted by God? When Paul established this church by God's grace, he taught very clearly that the only way to be accepted by God is what we read in these verses. It isn't by your works. It's only by faith in Jesus. Now, some had come in after he had left and began teaching that, no, no, that's true, partly. It is through faith in Jesus Christ, but you also have to make sure you wear skirts that go down to your ankles. I didn't teach that exactly, but they were saying that there are laws in addition to faith in Christ that if you don't keep, if you don't do those works, you're going to go to hell. And Paul is very unloving to deny that. And so we're loving you better and you should listen to us. Now, the laws that they were saying that you had to keep in order to go to heaven were Jewish laws, the Old Testament, that you had to be circumcised. And you had to eat this but not that. And you had to keep this ceremony. And that was destroying the church. It was destroying the church because people were aligning themselves against each other and there was a lot of fighting and there was a lot of confusion. But it was also destroying the church because the Bible teaches and is always taught from beginning to end that the only way to have God as your father is through simple faith in Jesus Christ. And if you think you need things in addition to that, it's just saying that you don't think Jesus is enough. And it destroys the faith of people. How many of you were, or maybe are, forgive me, Catholic? How many of you had beads? Little rosary beads, right? I read on Sunday mornings the elder meeting minutes from the Reformation time. And one of the things that sometimes people had to be called before the elders for was that they had faith in Jesus, but they hid their rosary beads during the service and would fiddle with them. (laughs) Because they felt like if they didn't have their rosary beads and if they weren't touching them, they were in danger of God's judgment. They needed Jesus plus the rabbit's foot. And so somebody in the church would say, hey, I saw John with rosary beads during the service, and John would get called to the elders. And that's what's going on in Galatia. And so there's a fight. It's a fight for faith. And so Paul, in this book, like some of the prophets in the Old Testament, like Jesus, used really, really strong language. Because eternal life was on the line. Because the truth of the gospel was on the line. Because God's glory was on the line. And so this book is a fight. I wanted to point that out. Uh, as we pastors were discussing this book this week, one of the things that, I can't remember if it was Pastor Jeff or Pastor Mark, 
is that sometimes we as Christians begin to think that there's going to be no fight for us in our Christian lives. That it'll all be okay. And we're surprised when there's a struggle. We're surprised when we suffer. We're surprised when it's, there's hostility. But this is a church started by the Apostle Paul that has a fight, that has a struggle. Maybe you've been in a church or a family where there wasn't much peace. There was division. And you know the pain of that. How difficult that is. Sometimes we get convinced that the Christian life should never include any of that. That being a Christian means that I won't have to go through that. But we will. And God is always gracious to use our pain and our struggle, whatever it is, in order to help us make progress in the faith. None of us welcome difficulty or confusion. None of us want it. We don't ask God in prayer, like, God, it's been too easy lately. I need some difficulty so I can become more like Jesus. None of us pray that or wants that. But on the flip side, we're often surprised and think that God must not love us, that God must be really displeased with us, or that maybe we're doing something wrong when difficulty comes into our lives and we have a fight on our hands. But don't forget, this is part of it. It is through many tribulations that you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. And so have faith for the battle. Have faith for it. It will never be simple and easy. And the reason is so that your hope might be in God and not in yourself. And so be reminded of that. All right, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, you'll remember this, said that the good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. One of the things that can happen in your Christian life is that you think the good fruit being produced by you is because you're a good tree by nature. You're good. Now, when Jesus said that, he was talking mainly about your life after becoming a Christian, that because God has regenerated you, made you new, filled you with his spirit, brought you into the church under the preaching of his word and the celebration of Lord's Supper and baptism, that you'll start producing good fruit because God has made you by his grace, by the Holy Spirit, changed. But let's apply that to justification. One of the most important truths regarding your relationship with God that you see most clearly when you read about the laws in the Bible is that you're a bad tree. Kids, did you know that? You weren't born a good egg. You know? Remember in Willy Wonka's factory when those big eggs fell out and then they were weighed and the bad ones went to the left and the good ones went to the right? Well, we all go to the left. We're born bad. The fruit we produce in our lives by our just nature is bad fruit. So in Galatians 4.21, look there if you will, Paul asks this rhetorical question in chapter 4 verse 21. Tell me, 
you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What does he mean there? Again, there's this fight in the church. How do we get accepted by God? How does God become our father and not just our judge? And again, the, the, the people causing all of the pain were saying, you need Jesus plus circumcision. You need Jesus plus this diet. You need Jesus plus this kind of clothing. You need, so you need Jesus plus keeping God's law, the work of keeping God's law. And Paul says, like, if you read the law, do you not hear what it says? Are you, are you deaf? What does he mean? Okay, let me try it on you. Listen to the law. L- listen to what the law says to you about how you're doing keeping it. Can you hear that? Listen. Okay. Husband, er, wives, submit to your husbands is everything as the church does to Christ. Okay, wives? What is that law saying to you regarding how you did submitting to your husband as the church submits to Christ and everything? What is the law saying to you there? Is it saying, you did so well, you're accepted by God? Or does it say, yeah. All right, husbands, right, we could do you too. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Or let's just take the big law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If your eternal life was dependent, not just on Jesus or faith in Jesus, but on loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what would that law say to you in your performance? You suck. You're awful. Now, I used a bad word. Why? Because we're that bad at it. We're not good at it. You can't whitewash this. So Paul is saying, listen, you who want to be under the law, don't you listen to it? Are you so proud and so self-deluded, so self-righteous that you look at the law and look at yourself and go, geez, I did really good this week. And so that's the first lesson every Christian has to learn. What is the law for? What does the law say? Well, let's look. There are explicit statements in the book of Galatians about what the law says to us. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We, we read it. But look there again. What does the law say? It says there is no justification by works of the law. That's one of the sermons God's law in the Bible is preaching to you. You can't be justified by keeping me. Why? Because by our nature, by our fallen nature, we're bad trees. We're not bent towards keeping God's law of love. We're bent away from it. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that, we'll, that no one is justified before God by the law. 
So what does the law say to us? One thing it says is there is no acceptance with God based on keeping God's law because we're breakers of it. Look at chapter 3, verse 10, just before it. Another thing the law says is that we are cursed by it. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not by, abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Do, do, do you not listen to the law? If you're listening to the law, one of the things the law says is you're damned, you're cursed. You're under God's wrath. That's what the law is saying. There's no hope in keeping me. There's no help here. There's only condemnation here. Again, chapter 3, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. What does that mean? How are we captive, imprisoned under the law? Well, the law is good. It works. It's beautiful. But when our stubborn, selfish hearts meet God's law, all we want to do is break it. It's like we're enslaved to saying no to what God says yes to and saying yes to what God says no to. Parents, you get this with your kids. One of the tricks you have to play is not tell them what to do but tell them what to do in a way that makes it seem like you're not telling them to do that. Because just the mere telling them to do it, even though they would rather they would do it, by you telling them it, now they don't want to do it. That's you. That's us. We're enslaved under that. That's what the law is saying to us. So when, when the good law of God meets a lusty heart, All you want to do is gratify the lust of your flesh and not do what God says. So we're under a curse. So we're in prison. That's what the law says. So do you not listen to the law? This is the thing within the Christian church, and it's always been this way, that we lie to Christians about. There's no law. There's just feel happy. God is nice and God is just accepting. Come as you are, remain as you are. We we have no faith for the law of God to do this work anymore. But this is the first lesson that every Christian must learn. Repentance. You'll recall in Acts chapter 2, which we've looked at a, a in the last few weeks, when Peter preached the first sermon to those Jews in Jerusalem right after Christ had been resurrected and ascended, he preached the law. Do you remember, what did they respond with? What did they say to Peter and to the apostles? What should we do to be saved? This should be the constant experience of us when we meet God's law in the Bible. We're utterly broken and humbled under it. Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee praying and the sinner praying. And the Pharisee's prayer was, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. He was a Republican. God, I thank you that I'm not like them. What does 
the sinner pray. He wouldn't look to heaven. He's weeping. He's tearing out his hair. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That's what the law should do to you. So do, can, you, can you be honest for once, please? Can you be honest with each other here? One of the things that happens when people come to a church is they feel like everybody's good and they feel like they got to hide. There is nobody here who is good, okay? No marriage looks like what it looks like on Facebook. No vacation looks what it looks like on Facebook. The vacation was filled with Anger and fighting over who gets to do what, when. And then they took a few pictures when everybody was smiling and put that on Facebook. And that isn't true. The sweetest marriage here that you see ain't sweet. It's full of sin. The family that you think the kids have it all together is a sham. It's an illusion created by parents who think that their acceptance with God depends on everybody thinking that they got it all together. And the law is supposed to break that. It's supposed to humble us. It's supposed to look at God and say, there's nothing here worth saving. Have mercy on me. That's what the law is supposed to do. And so do you have faith to be humbled by the law? I think a source of our depression in our day, which has always been, is that we cannot come to grips with how corrupt and sinful we are, so we're constantly surprised by how sinful we are and depressed by it. And you just have this good little boy, good little girl syndrome. That's your constant view of yourself, and so you're surprised and depressed when you don't measure up to that. That's not who you are. I mean, that you think you're a good little boy or a good little girl is just self-righteousness. And so part of the freedom of the gospel that begins with the law is the freedom of admitting honestly who you are. It's so freeing. And it's freeing in how you view others. You don't have to look down on others anymore because you're far worse. You're all alcoholics. Though maybe it isn't alcohol that you need so much. Maybe it's looking really nice or buying new clothes or working out or food or packers or... Also then... Not only does the law humble us, as we learn to submit to the humility and need for Christ under the law, we learn how to counsel others. Our day is one full of flattery. We lie to each other and refuse to bring God's law to bear on the sins that we know that the people that we're closest with have in their lives. And so we lie to them. This happens in Christian counseling all the time. We speak comfort before God's law has brought any 
humility. In fact, the people are thought the best pastors and the best elders and the best Christians are the people who often lie the most. Because they will not have the faith to bring God's law to bear on the sin of the people that they're counseling. They way too quickly bring them to Christ. And the law has not broken them down at all, even though there's obvious sin there. And this is what Paul is doing in this book again and again and again. He's bringing the law to bear on the consciences of this church. And so we have to have faith for that. So part of the fight here is the fight for faith to let the law do its work. We've been talking the last couple weeks about the vision for our church. Who are we? This is one of the things we want to be. Now, one of the difficulties in having the faith for the law of God do its work is, like, what ratio of law versus grace do we give? This is true of you in parenting, right? You, You have to figure out constantly with your children, how much law or grace do I give here? Do I overlook this one or do they need a sledgehammer here? Is this just a gentle conversation or is this serious, serious consequences? Do they need dad to get big and tall and use his deep voice? Or do they need a real gentle kind? You're constantly having to figure this out. So the same thing in the preaching. What feed mixture of law and grace? You can wear people out by nagging too much with law, right? And you can also get people really proud and self-reassured by not ever or rarely or not bringing the law to bear specifically. So pray for that. But have faith for God's law to do its humbling work. So there's a fight for faith to hear what the law says, but then there's also a fight for faith to just rest in Christ alone for your justification. And that's the main thing. But that can only be heard when God's law has done its work and is doing its work. You never outgrow the need for God's law to thunder. But as God's law humbles you and shows you that there's nothing good in you, then you need faith to just rest in Christ. And it's really a crazy thing that Christians have to learn to be good at. There's two dance steps of the Christian life, law and the grace of God. And it's the law that drives us to God's grace. It's the law that shows us the need for Christ. So we must have faith for God to condemn our flesh. This isn't wallowing in self-pity. This isn't to be constantly inwardly focused and introspective. It is just that as the law shows us our sin, we just go right to Christ. We turn our mind to what we sang about earlier, that he paid the price on the cross. And so it is true that there is nothing in your nature to cause God to do anything for you. But that just utterly freely in love, he sent his son to die for us. And, and, and how God reveals that truth to us is in this phrase, justification by faith. Let's look at it again 
in Galatians. So if we've learned what the law says to us, what does God's grace say? If the law, if you're listening to the law, you need to hear something good, right? You need to hear good news. What does the good news say? What does God's grace say? Let's turn back again to 2.16. So the law says, there's no justification by working to keep it. But there's only justification through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Justified by faith in Christ. Justified. This is courtroom language. This is you standing before the bar in heaven. God is judge. And God saying, declaring you to be not guilty, innocent, actually perfect. That's, that's what that word means. You are justified, accepted, not only never doing anything wrong, but always doing everything right. That's what that word means. And so the question is, how? How can that be for you? Doesn't that mystify you? How can God say that over me? Like if you were actually, if you could, in your mind's eye, put yourself in that courtroom, you're expecting death, right? And God says, innocent. You've never done anything wrong. You'd like look around, right? Me? Don't you remember? <laughs> remember when I was 14? Don't, don't you? It's by Christ. It's by faith in him. Faith. Faith is your resting in what Jesus did for that declaration to be made of you and not in what you do. That's all that faith is. Faith is saying to God, I have done it all wrong. I rest in that Jesus has done it all right. That's it. That's it. That's what justifies us. Isn't it so simple? Isn't it so pure and lovely and beautiful? Again, look at 324. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Faith is that which makes you one with Jesus so that all that Jesus did is as if you did it. And all that Jesus is and has from the Father is as if you are and have in the Father. Faith clothes you in Christ. So you don't appear before God as a fornicator. You don't appear before God as a glutton. You don't appear before God as a gossip. 
You don't appear before God as someone who doesn't repay your debts. You don't appear before God as a liar, as somebody who will not do what your mom says to do right away. You appear before God as Christ appears before the Father, never looking at a woman lustfully ever once, always telling the truth no matter the cost, always treating people in the right way at the right time, always, always saying right things in the right ways. Faith is that which connects you to Christ. So the only way to be justified before God is by faith in Jesus Christ. And so in regards to your justification, there is no law. All of the laws in the Bible mean nothing in regard this acceptance with God. (laughs) It's the wildest thing in the world. All of these laws... They're nothing through faith in Jesus Christ as far as your justification. And so you have to raise your mind up to that truth and focus ultimately in your relationship with God on that truth. You have to become an expert in it, actually. There is nothing that you need to become more, have more expertise in as far as the truths of Scripture, then justification by faith. That's the one. That's it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is the first of all truths. It's the first. It's the highest. It's, it's the one primary truth above all truths. So become an expert there. Become an expert in knowing where to apply the law in your life and knowing where to apply the gospel of God's grace in your life. Become an expert there. There's other things we want to learn, but it starts there. Why? Why does it start there? That's your acceptance with God. And that's your freedom from all the things in this world that often enslave you. You struggle with the constant need for approval of others. Always thinking what others are thinking of you. Afraid of that. It's the doctrine of justification that can set you free from enslavement to that. It's not that you'll never care what people think about you, but it doesn't have to grip you and control you. Feeling guilty over how you treat your children. Did it again. What are you going to do with that? Grew up in a family that was miserable, just jealous over people growing up who grew up in families that weren't, feel like your life will never be what theirs is because of what your family was like growing up. You need a father. It's the doctrine of justification that provides you with a new family and a new life and a new hope. Are you facing death? I mean, I'm not just saying that you know you're going to die some years down the road, but it's like right here with a diagnosis or a family history of disease and you're that age. Have a loved one right there. What's your hope? What's your assurance? 
in death. It's that Jesus died and rose again for me, and so I'm accepted of the Father. I can die in faith. It's also the source of all peace in your relationships. Did you know that? What, what brings conflict in your life? Your differences. Even over the, the silliest and stupidest of things. The church is expert at dividing over secondary things. Right? You look down on people who are different than you. You can't be, imagine why they don't think like you think on these matters. You do this in marriage, you do this amongst your siblings, you do this with your friends. You have very little faith to have deep, meaningful friendships and relationships with people who think differently than you and things that really don't matter much. So that's why Paul says in 328, there's no Jew nor Greek. There's no slave nor free. There's no male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. If we ever want to be united as a church and you want to find union in your marriage and with your children, and it starts with this doctrine because you stop being so proud and judging each other and your differences and accepting them, allowing them to have the freedom to make up their own minds on those things and not having to work so hard to change their minds because they don't cut coupons and you can't believe that. They just go pay full price at Triggs. And shop at Aldi. Save a buck. Don't you love Jesus? Or they eat donuts. Bleached sugar. The demon of all health demons. How can you even be a Christian? Aren't we pathetic in our judgments? It's the doctrine of justification that helps you be a decent human being. And love each other. So this is it. Here it is. You are justified, accepted by God, not as judge, but as father. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. That's got to be the center of our lives in this church. That's got to be what makes you the happiest of all happy, even in misery. That's it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not hidden these things. In your word, praise you that you've given us a book like this through your Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, that it is very clear of how we can find acceptance and love and forgiveness and your fatherly eternal care and promises. And so God, help us to grow in expertise in listening to what the law says to our flesh and running to Christ constantly in our minds and hearts and receiving forgiveness and enjoying the freedom we have as your sons in Christ and then the acceptance and love we can have for each other. And so God, help us to grow not only in the knowledge of this truth, but in the experience of it. And so please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.